Hello, and welcome to the AI Insiders podcast, the flagship podcast of USC's Information Sciences Institute AI division. And who am I? Well, I'm the host of this podcast, and I also happen to be the director of the AI division. And I'm relatively new, which is relevant to this podcast for two reasons. First, it means I'm still getting to know people here. So this podcast is a good, not just lazy, but good way for me to get to know these folks, these humans, uh, somewhat conventional way, perhaps, but still useful because it secondly, because it means I get to focus on knowing the humans at ISI who are behind the AI. And the more I learn about AI, the more I realize that in spite of all the breathless headlines about this AI that surrounds us, sort of like the force, as well as the deeply opaque technical reports of preprints that only about 3% of people I know can actually read, AI still is for the foreseeable future very much a human endeavor. And I think if we want to know what's going on, much less where we may be headed, I want to reverse that equation. And instead of starting with the AI, let's start with the humans. The humans who are creating, deploying, shaping, arguing about, worrying over, and increasingly humans like the rest of us who are being affected by AI. So I'm glad to say I found another human today who's willing to come onto the podcast and give me a chance to get to know her better as a person and as a colleague who's in this AI mix with us. Deborah Kreider, welcome to AI Insiders. Thank you. Now, Deborah, I generally don't spend a lot of time here talking about sort of your your history, your pedigree, your technical work. Uh, that will come up. But as I said, I really want to focus on sort of you as a human. Uh, and one question that I've used to do that is a bit of a time travel question. And I will be, you know, a sort of fly on the wall, but I want to take you back in time to your, let's say, anywhere from six to 10 year old self. And I want to hear modern day Deborah described to six to 10 year old Deborah. What is it that modern day Deborah does? It's a good question. I think I would, first of all, tell my younger self that. It is nothing related to what they wanted to do when they were, when I was six to 10 years old. Like I wanted to be a vet, a veterinarian. Uh, so I would say I would start by this and that eventually my younger self is going to discover a passion for scuba diving in the ocean and decides that this is the major that she should pursue in college in oceanography. And in college, gets to meet people working on environmental causes, things like this, and work more and more toward understanding climate change. And that now what I do is basically use AI to help us address climate change issues. All right. So we'll, we'll dive into that a little bit deeper in terms of how you're using AI to help you solve what I think would be arguably be one of the more existential questions or challenges facing our, our species. Where does the AI help? Many ways. It helps, first of all, with the work itself. Um, so one of the things with paleoclimate is that we didn't have somebody uh, with a thermometer measuring the temperature of the Earth 100,000 years ago. And so we use something called proxies, uh, which are environmental recorder of what climate looked like. So you can think about, for example, a tree that's going to be happy to grow when it's warm and there is enough moisture and not happy when it's too cold and it's too dry. And so you can measure essentially the growth rate that gives you information about the environment. And so to be able to go from that measurement that we make, the growth rate to temperature, we need to do something that's called calibration. And this is where AI can help us with machine learning to actually get that information from data, which is what we're already doing, 
but apply more complex algorithm to get better calibration. So let me ask this. Um, it sounds to me like AI is is becoming increasingly a partner in this process, right? Some what I call assistive AI. It's helping you do things that you would do, but but better, more efficiently, more accurately. What do you worry most about with with AI over the next five to six, maybe even longer um, period? Okay, so in terms of work, I think mostly it will become more and more useful. I think to me, the only worry that I would have is a lot of those techniques are black boxes. Mm. And so as a scientist, it's always hard to say, I'm going to use a black box. It's that idea of, would you trust a black box that's right 90% of the time? Or would you trust somebody who is right 85% of the time, but can explain to you how they came to that conclusion? Mm. And I think for most scientists, including myself, I will take the 85%. I would rather not be too sure, but at least have an explanation for it. When we get to a point where those black box models are doing everything or they're being Mm -hmm. used without really understanding what they're saying, it's a risk, definitely, in the work. So yeah, that's work-wise, I would say that's the biggest risk. Okay. So so you're scaring me a little bit because really what you're saying is you're worried that humans will uh, be poorly calibrated when it comes to what these models can do and what the systems can do. We might yeah, over or under trust them to some degree. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm going to start asking a little bit of wacky question, uh, but it's it's related to sort of how you got to AI and what I think is what you bring is fairly unique to the, to the table. Um, the first question is, what sort of hobby or skill have you developed elsewhere that has been most useful for, for your work with AI? Hobby, I've more or less a lot of arts and craft type of hobby. Mm -hmm. But I also tend to go also into more like geeky type of things, like costuming, things like this. And I feel in some ways, sometimes it allows me to see a practical solution (laughs) to things that my academic background would not show me. In academia, we always think about the perfect thing Uh instead of thinking about the most practical. Okay, let me put you on the spot then. What would be a good AI themed costume? Depends on your budget. <laughs> okay. All right. Let's let's sky's the limit. You're you're good to go. Going as data would be one of them. Okay. All right. You could go as a server. An actual server. An actual server. Put a box around yourself and just go as a server with cable coming in and out of it. It, it would also be a good like reuse and recycle type of costume because you can reuse the boxes that you get from your favorite retailer and and do it this way. Um, so that does lead to the second question, um, which is, let's say uh, AI emerges. Uh, there's there's some degree of I won't say AGI, but but an artificial intelligence uh, com- comes to bear that is both intelligent and empathetic, but doesn't really understand humans. Uh, what what book or film would you suggest they read or watch to give them what you think is the best idea of what it's like to be human? I would say watch Star Trek The Next Generation and look at data. Okay. Unpack that for me. That's interesting. Who's not actually human, right? That's interesting. Why? But he's aspiring to be human. And when you watch him through the shows and the movies, he's getting there. And he's, he's learning both sides of humanity, which 
I found fascinating in a lot of ways. Yeah, that's pretty profound. Yeah. Here, study this other thing that's trying to, to understand what it means to be human. And I think at, at the end, the captain said it, I forgot it was in the movies or the shows, that he's more human than most of us. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what, how AI can help us, even with our own empathy at scale, which is clearly, clearly necessary. We are own, in some ways, our own black boxes, right? And so we need other tools to help us convey that uh, to each other as well. Um, do you think AI will one day you know, develop uh, intelligence? And you realize that is a fraught term? In a lot of ways, I hope not. Because that would be where the danger actually lies. Because <laughs> <laughs> there are people who think that it's, at least with the current approach, theoretically impossible to get to intelligence. There are other people, as you know, who believe it's just a matter of scale or some some next dump function we're going to take. Just curious as to where you, you know, how you think about it. I think it's a matter of time. Okay. As in like, when are we going to understand intelligence better so that we can actually apply it to a machine? I think that's what it is. And I'm hoping that at that point in time, we've also progressed enough to to realize the danger and and do something about it at that point in time. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we have that kind of time. Where we are right now, a lot of people say we're sort of at an inflection point in this area. Um I don't know if that's true or not, but let's let's say it is true. Let's say there's another young person out there who wants who realizes we're at this inflection point and realizes I have to, you know, I have to contribute in some way, shape, or form. I have to solve a problem and get involved with AI to do that. What recommendation would you offer them? Well, I think that falls under two categories. The first one is are you a computer scientist and your goal is to advance AI by itself? And that I'm not really exactly qualified to answer. <laughs> The second is you're interested in something else. And the question that you should ask yourself is, can AI help? Can it actually help you do your work? Can it do things that you don't have the resources to do yourself? Or it would take too many humans and put humans in harm ways to actually get it done. Uh, and I feel like the advice would be, it's a tool, look at it, but it might not be your best solution. Okay, so the second question from that is if we are at the sort of inflection point, or at least things are happening and it's hard for us to figure out sort of what what the future looks like, who from history would you bring to a dinner to talk to them uh, that you think might have good advice on on how to make our way forward here? Probably somebody in the humanities or philosophy. Okay. Anybody come to mind? Actually, the, the first one that popped in my head was Voltaire. Okay. Unpack that, please. He had ideas about the human conditions that were interesting and definitely influenced a lot of our society. And I think he would be the one to actually think about the condition of AI, like how should we use it, what it would, how it would impact society. So I think he would be the first person to come in mind, not necessarily to help us develop more, but to develop it in a, in a way that would be useful for everyone. Yeah, that that, make, that makes sense to me. So we'll get Voltaire's thoughts on sort of where we are. What do you, what do your friends and family think about what you do? You're gonna laugh. Um, when I went to college, uh, my parents insisted that I should be a computer scientist, <laughs> and I said never in my life will I spend all day in front of a computer screen. Uh, this is also part of the reason I chose geology as a major. <laughs> So they still don't know what I do for a living. 
because <laughs> you can't bring yourself to, to say it's not just computer science. No, it's not just geology. <laughs> um, my friends, for the most part, it's kind of funny because they know me in a different way. And uh, we were actually at a we were at a Star Trek convention together, and they were like, "Oh, they have scientists speaking," and I don't know any scientists. And I turn around and I was like, "Yes, you do." <laughs> Or I don't know anyone who's a PhD. And I'm like, yes, you do. So I think it's that, like, maybe it's the European part of me where job doesn't really cross into life as much. Or, or you're a very good undercover scientist. Or I'm a very good undercover scientist, yes. Interesting. Um, I was going to ask, what what's your favorite part about being a sort of paleoclimatologist other than being able to introduce yourself as a paleoclimatologist? But it sounds like you don't do that very often. Uh, if you weren't... A paleoclimatologist and/or working in AI, what would you be doing? Probably VFX, actually. Oh, basically video uh, special effects, the artistic part to it. So especially if you're talking sci-fi, like creating those new vessels or those new worlds, like thinking about what an alien world would look like. Hmm. I mean, that's kind of an interesting thing to do. And right now, it's pretty much done. I'm going to say by hand, but with a computer. Right. Are you more interested in sort of video games or movies or doesn't really matter? Any any sort of virtual doesn't world? really matter as long as it's kind of like way out there. Like I don't think I would be able to do like war type thing. Hmm. <laughs> That's too real. But like anything sci-fi where you just get to create a brand new society and a brand new world out of nowhere would be would be a lot of fun. Do you worry that we're gonna be able to do that in the sense that I will be able to create and inhabit my own world and you will be able to create and inhabit your own world that we may have these tools to create bubble uh, bubble universes in which my reality no longer really overlaps with your reality. I don't think we need AI for this. I think we're doing this this perfectly. Oh man, you're not, you're by, not wrong. By ourselves. Uh, so I don't think AI is going to change that at all. You don't think it'll make it a little worse? No, I think this one's honest. We can do it without AI. And I think a lot of people are doing it without AI. Uh, we've been doing this for thousands of years. So I don't think that AI is going to change anything. Do you have a favorite joke about AI? Not AI per se, but like the, the one where they create a robot bartender and teach him essentially like what happened if a client asks for two beers, 50 beers, minus five beers, and so on and so forth. And then the client comes in and asks for the bathroom and the robot just fails. <laughs> does not compute. Does not compute. And I think <laughs> yeah. that's very true of most AI systems right now. Do you, do you think AIs will ever be best friends? Do you think we'll ever be able to have an, an AI best friend? Depends how they evolve. I think part of having a best friend is also the empathy, common interest. And it's it's a little bit different than, you know, just working with an AI or asking a question or there is more of an equality footing here in a best friend that you would have probably with an AI. Um, so it really depends on how far do we how far do we go or do we stop it because we realize we're going to destroy ourselves first. Right. Do you do you think there are regulations that we should have on or in AI? Definitely. Well, examples. 
I love how computer scientists sometimes like to call themselves engineers. And when you look at, for example, biomedical engineers, civil engineers, environmental engineers, chemical engineers, uh, they have to take classes and like test and they have to pass their professional uh, license to be able to work in that field, understanding risk and also understanding responsibility of putting those things out there and what might happen and so on and so forth. And so I think that should be the bare minimum at this point, that if you're going to work in AI, you should have that professional license to do so. That also involves ethics and how you deal with this. And it should be renewed every few years. And in the same way that we have it for professional engineers, at the beginning of your career, you work under another computer scientist for a few years before you're even eligible to take the test. Uh, so I think that's one of them. Uh, but any anything that would apply to civil engineering should apply at this point to people working in AI. That seems sane to me, <laughs> for what it's worth. But it's a yeah, and that's a great analogy. Uh, do you teach? Yes, I'm actually teaching this semester. Do you like teaching? Which part? <laughs> well, I was going to ask you. Like, let's let's say the general answer is yes, ish. But what do you like most about teaching? I think the part I like most about teaching is the interaction, like kind of like seeing how they progress from not knowing anything about the subject to actually thinking about it in more concrete terms, but also be a little bit more critical about it, asking the right question. And by the right questions, like, oh, but what happened if you do this to the system? Or what does it really mean to have, you know, an accuracy score of 0.99? Do you really need right. 0.99? Uh, the part that I don't like so much is the question such as, is this on the test? Or <laughs> I really meant to write this, but, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, depending on what class I teach, the proportion of that changes. Different different incentives. I get that. Yeah. Um, do you have any questions for me before we wrap up? Yeah, actually, where do you see yourself in 10 years? Oh, <laughs> we roll the dice. Uh <laughs> Not job-wise, but more like, what do you think the world is going to look like in ten years? I uh, uh, in ten years, I I I don't know. Um, and in fact, I've in some degree, perhaps, I've stopped thinking about that. Uh, not because it's not important, but because I think I realize the limits of my ability to project that sort of thing. Uh, I just have to have, I have to put an emphasis on that optimism part of apocalyptimism and stay optimistic. I think we have to. So, um, you know, we're running out of time, Deborah. I really, I really want to thank you for taking the time to come on. Uh, well, thank you. Somewhat unconventional way for a director to get to know, you know, his colleagues. So, again, looking forward to to seeing what you're able to do uh, to continue to do and help solve these problems. Thank you for really bringing the best of, of what makes you human to finding these kinds of solutions uh, for all of us. Well, thank you, Adam, for the podcast and for the invitation. I will right, well, appreciate it and. Uh, so thank you again for everyone who tuned in to listen to another podcast session of AI Insiders. Please join us again in the future as I get more humans on and I'll continue to try to help us better understand these humans behind AI at ISI as a way to also help us better chart out a path to making sure that AI helps us do more good in more ways for more of us. Until then, fight on. Fight on.